All right, if you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of John and chapter 10. John chapter 10, we've been looking through this chapter the last few weeks and looking at the discourse of the Good Shepherd. And now, uh, this morning here, we'll be finishing this chapter as Jesus has another encounter with these unbelieving Jews. And the inspired word begins in verse 22 by laying a backdrop, a picture for us to the conversation that is about to take place. So look with me at verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into in the, the temple in Solomon's porch. And this feast of the dedication is known to us. We might not recognize that term, but it's known to us as Hanukkah. Okay? And as a, a, a boy in Milwaukee, I lived next, next to a Jewish neighbor, and there was two, uh, two holidays that he would often tell me about. He would tell me about Yom Kippur. That was the day I hit his car. It's the, known as, to them as the Day of Forgiveness. And so that is a great time to hit somebody's car. <laughs> Because uh, he was, he said, "Do you know what today is? Yom Kippur." Oh, okay, that's great. I don't have to pay anything. I'm not going to face charges. But the second day that he often told me about was he he didn't celebrate Christmas. He celebrated Hanukkah, and that starts on the 25th of December and goes for. It's a feast of, of eight days, uh, and it was instituted to commemorate the purification of the temple. And that was from the atrocities of Antiochus Epiphanes in, in 165 B.C. And according to Josephus, who's, the fir, who's a first century historian, he lays it out as a, as a day, uh, eight days, where they would celebrate this purification of the temple. And here it is that Jesus has stayed now, right after this discourse of, of, of the Good Shepherd, now two months removed from his from the Feast of the Tabernacles where he, he declared, I'm what you need. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that you need to have your, your belly flow as rivers of living water. I'm the one that you need. Now, two months later, Jesus is in this neighborhood of Jerusalem for this feast, and we're told that it's winter. Now, why does the Bible include something like that? Why does it tell us the season? Well, in in Jerusalem, the, the, the weather is much different than it is here in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, we have four seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. In Jerusalem, they have two distinct seasons. That is summer and winter with maybe a couple weeks of spring. It's also known as dry season and wet season. And here during this winter wet season, storms are very, very common in, in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus here, he walks into the temple in this portion that's called Solomon's Porch, and he walks in and he's approached by these Jews. And a little bit later on, we'll see a part of a verse that Brother Milligan read this morning. In verse 29, as Jesus is speaking to these Jews, he declares, My Father, which gave them me, he's speaking about us as believers, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. My Father is greater than all. My Father is greater than all. And this entire passage at the end of John chapter 10 declares just how great our Father is. And I want to take the entirety this morning and declare, just as Jesus did right here, 
the greatness of your father. The greatness of your father. The father's greatness in this passage is shown by his patience with the Jews and frankly his patience with us. His security and assurance that he gives to his flock and his unexplainable oneness with Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and Lord, the work that you want to do in our hearts this morning. Lord, we're very undeserving of your grace. And, and Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, now I pray this morning as, as you want us to remember and to, and to get a proper view of you, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in, in, in this crowd here this morning, Lord, that's hurting, that is, that is, is their focus off of you, Lord, I pray that you'd correct our view. Lord, those that, that are your sheep but don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would get to know you better this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus stepped in here to the temple, whether it was because of a storm brewing outside or it was because of the feast that, that was going to be held there, uh, no one could have expected what was about to expect, except for maybe Jesus. As he steps into this situation, he's immediately surrounded and asked a hostile question. Look with me at verse 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. How, how long are you going to keep us doubting? And if, if, if I look at that verse, and, and having read the previous nine chapters of John as we have, I am baffled at the very fact that this is coming out of their mouths. Because over and over and over again, Jesus has told them plainly that he is the Son of God time and time again. And here it is we see our first point. The great patience of our Father is shown through Jesus Christ in this moment. And, and, and through the many times already that he shared with them that he is truly the Son of God. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you. Now, I don't think this was a, a Jesus, a harsh answer saying, I told you so. I think this was the loving, the, the loving eyes of Jesus that looked at them. He said, I told you. I told, I, I've, I've told you already. And ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And Jesus, if you, if you look at the first part, just the book of John, Jesus to this point has 16 previous times recorded in the book of John told them who he was, told them that he was the Son of God. In chapter 3, verse 13, that's when he was with Nicodemus, and again recorded in chapter 6, verse 38, he told them, I am the one who came from heaven. In chapter 3, verse 15, and again in this passage right here at the end of chapter 10, he's going to tell them, whoever believes on me has eternal life. In chapters, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, he tells them three different things about himself. He says, I told you I am the Son of God. I will, ju I will judge all of humanity, and those that, that honor me, they should honor me just as they honor God. At the end of chapter 5, he tells them 
that the Hebrew scriptures prophesy of him. He was the, the Messiah that the Old, Old Testament was talking about. In chapter 7, he says, I perfectly reveal God the Father. Chapter 8, he says, I always please God and never sin. Later on in chapter 8, I am uniquely sent from God, and before Abraham was, I am. In chapter 9, I am the son of man that was prophesied by the prophet Daniel. Daniel. In chapter 10, I will not, I, I'm not just the good shepherd that lays down my life. I lay down my life for the sheep, and I will take it up again, meaning that he, has the, he is the Son of God. He has the power of resurrection in himself. In chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And just as we've seen over these last few weeks, in chapter 10, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. So over and over and over again, Jesus has put these, these clear-cut statements in front of these unbelieving Jews. And those words must have broken the Father's heart when Jesus said, but I told you, I told you, I, I told you over and over and over again, and yet you didn't believe. It's understandable that unbelievers will get to a point where even the clear claims of Scripture go in one ear and out the other. We can see that in unbelievers today that, that want nothing to do with Jesus. But if you're a blood-bought believer here this morning, if you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you are eternally secure forevermore, then you ought never to find yourself doubting the clear-cut claims of Christ in, in Scripture. You should never find yourself doubting his love for you. You should never f find yourself doubting uh, the assurance of your salvation. If you do have that doubt here this morning, you have to ask yourself, do I really believe that he, he will do what he said he will do? And we see the patience here of Jesus Christ, even when a Christian doubts. And I have found over and over again in my sinful heart, even when I doubt, Christ is patience. Christ is patient with me, and he will over and over and over again come to us in a still small voice and say, but I told you. But I told you, not in I told you so, but he will come to us in love and say, didn't I tell you? I told you 16 times already. I'm going to tell you again. So we see the great patience of the Father. This, that is the greatness of your Father, that he is, he is so patient with us. Second, we see the great safety and assurance of the Father to his flock the great safety and assurance that the Father gives to his flock. Verse 26, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, 
and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. As if it wasn't enough for him to say it once, he says it again twice, nobody's going to be able to take you out of my hand. And here Jesus mentions four distinct things about his sheep. He says, my sheep hear me, and I know them, and they follow me. We have, as Christians, the privilege of communing with the Good Shepherd every single day of our life, hearing his voice. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just want to commune with us, he, want, he knows us and wants us to know him. The word here that's used in the Greek is the word gnosko, the word for know, which means he knows you in the most intimate way, and he wants us to know him in the most intimate way. He wants to have a relationship with us. And they follow me, not just in the sense of believing on him for salvation, but this Greek word for follow means that they by choice have made a, they've made a choice to follow me for the rest of their life. They've made a choice to be a disciple of mine. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you a sheep of his? Firstly, are you saved? But are you a sheep of his that is reveling each day in the act of communing with the good shepherd and getting to know him and his heart for you? Or have the cares of this world shaken you to the point that you're so distracted that you can barely hear the master's voice? Christ wants to assure you here this morning that he still knows you. Even if you've gotten off, he still knows you intimately and he wants you to know the joy of communing with him. The next two things that, that, that are distinct about, about, the, about Jesus' sheep is, is found in verse 28. He says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. These next two things go hand in hand. He says, My sheep are given e eternal life. I give unto my sheep eternal life. And nextly, my sheep are eternally secure from anyone that would want to take them from my Father. This is a verse I often use for soul winning. After someone has just come to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they've just made the best decision they could ever make in their life, and now they've entered into a relationship with Him. And I use this verse, verse 28, to show them, you don't have to be worried about losing your salvation. Once you are in Him, you are eternally secure forever. And that is the greatness of our Father, that God holds us securely in His hands. We are saved and sealed for all of eternity. We can't be separated from God. There's no, no man, no spiritual being, no devil that can ever pluck us from His hands. Romans 8, 38 and 39 say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This love of God that saved us was shed right through Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening in this moment as he's speaking to these unbelieving Jews He's saying, I told you, God loves you. God wants to save you if you just believe. The fourth distinct thing that he says about his sheep is, my sheep have the greatest dad ever. Verse 29, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. I, I, this, is, this, is, this is 
what we need to get is, is a proper view. If we as Christians would get a proper view of how Jesus views the views the is the greatest of all. Um, I think about my son Leland, and uh, he thinks I'm the best dad ever. And there's one day that I'm going to have to share with him, no, there's, there's a father that's greater than me. But when he's playing with his toys and he's got his little cups that go into one another and he flips one around and sticks it in there and gets it stuck, he immediately holds it up and says, Dada, because Dad can fix his problem. And then he'll get him stuck again and he'll say, Dada, and Dad will come over and fix the problem again because Dad can fi fix anything. And we as Christians have the greatest dad ever. And for the simple truth that no one is able to take us out of his hand. We are eternally secure. Our dad can fix anything. Now let's look at our third point here this morning. As we've seen the patience of our father, we've seen the great assurance and safety of our father that he gives to the flock. And now thirdly, this is a point that we won't be able to explain or to fully know until we see him. The great unexplainable oneness of the Godhead. Verse 29. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And people who try to disprove the Bible will say that this verse, verse 29, is an apparent contradiction. How could the Father give us, the sheep, into the Son's hand and yet no man is able to take us out of the Father's hand. How can God give to Jesus us as his sheep and yet retain all of us? And that just speaks to the oneness of our God. That speaks to the oneness between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And don't try to fully understand it. You'll never be able to. In fact, you'll get yourself a headache. But I will tell you this morning, the Father has given us into the hand of the Son, and yet retains all of us. We're not, we're not going to be uh, uh, left uh, unsecure from Jesus. But Jesus, in this next verse, makes the ultimate declaration that will ultimately set these Jews in an uproar. As he's leading up to this, he's saying, listen, there is a oneness between God, and my, uh, God the Father and me. And verse 30, he declares... I and my Father are one. Now here in, the, in this verse, we do lose a little bit of just the emphasis and the emphatic nature of, of the verse from the Greek. And Jesus is putting an ultimate, in the most powerful way, an exclamation mark. And by using the word are, which in, in the Greek, uh, we don't have genders at the end of our, in the end of our words in English maybe like Spanish does, but here the word for are is in the masculine, meaning that we are two separate people, and then the, wor the word one in the Greek is in the, ne is in the neuter. So it's the, got the gender of, of neuter, stating the fact that there is only one of us. So we, as separate persons of the Godhead, are one. There is oneness, there is an unexplainable oneness of our God. We believe as Christians that God is three separate persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet, they're all one. They are one. There is a oneness that Jesus, 
I can't begin to explain it. The fact that there's a oneness means that I am loved the same way the Father loves the Son is the same way that the Son loved me. And that oneness that was shared on the cross was all the way back at the beginning of creation in the, in the Garden of Eden when God the Father made that, that promise that he was going to redeem mankind. It was carried out now through Jesus Christ and that oneness that he was going to carry out that plan and save us from our sin. This alone should cause us to revel in our God. This alone should cause us to revel in the greatness of our God. But the response of the Jews here in verse 31 was anything but reveling. Look down at verse 31 with me. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shewed you from my Father. Of which, For which of those works do ye stone me? The, Jew, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. And the fact was, he was God. There was no blasphemy going on here. Jesus was the God-man, 100% man, and yet 100% God. And so there was no blasphemy happening. This accusation, Jesus answers with two different things. He first answers with Scripture, and then he answers with his works. Look at his answer from Scripture, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and set into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? Now those three verses can be very difficult if you're just reading them out of context. But Jesus right here is quoting Psalm 82.6. In, in Exodus chapter 21 and 22, and now again in, in, in Psalm 82.6, God uses the word judges or prophets, and he calls them gods with a small g, as ones who have authority to judge or, or to, in the, in the case of a judge, he would decide whether one would live or one would die. So he was given divine, divine uh, ordinance in that realm. A prophet would do what? What was, the, what was the job of a prophet? It was to receive the word of God and to declare the words of God. Verse 35, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came. That's talking about the prophets. If he called them gods, if he called them magistrates or prophets or ones in authority, and the scripture cannot be broken, I'm not lying here. This is, this is what the word of God says. Jesus says then, if they're called that, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified. How much more should, should the, the one who was sent into the world the one whose the Father has sanctified be called God, the Son of God. And in, the old, in those olden days, it was not uncommon for them to call the prophets or the, or the magistrates or the rulers or even the judges sons of God. And here Jesus is just making an argument. He's saying, how much more? This is a, this is a lesser thing. 
I, uh, you've seen the miracles that I have done. How much more uh, should I be call myself the Son of God in light of the testimony of who I am and what I've done? So he gives an argument from Scripture, and then he, he answers from his works, verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. So don't believe me. If, if my works are not coming from, from the Father, then please, Go somewhere else. Follow someone else. Verse 38, But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus had given them more miracles than they could handle. If you think about it, the feeding of the 5,000, most likely these Jews were there. The healing of the man with the palsy, just previous to this, the healing of the blind man. And that's not half the miracles he's done in this amount of time. That's only what was recorded in the book of John. Matthew through Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all those eyewitness accounts hold multiple miracles that he's done during this, this time. And yet, their hearts don't reckon with it. They still don't believe. And we see their verse 39, their response once again was to try to capture Jesus. Verse 39, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. I want you to read the the next three words with me from verse 40. And went away. Again beyond Jordan into the place where John had first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Probably one of the most saddest moments in Scripture happened right here, where the unbelieving Jews try to capture him, and he walks away, and verse 40 starts out, and went away. He left them alone. He stopped working on their hearts. Not because he wanted to, but because they didn't want to believe, even though their eyes had over and over and over again seen the miraculous. May it never be said of us as Christians that we doubted the greatness of our Father, and he went away, and he stopped working on us. Rather, what should happen in each one of our lives is that when we see the greatness of our, of our Father and we're reminded of it, we should want to know Him more. It should drive us to know Him and become closer to Jesus Christ. Do you know the greatness of your Father this morning? And are you a sheep that is communing with Him daily? Let's pray.